Hello. Hello, everybody. Welcome to our percentile vice, where we do actual plays, talk about TTRPGs. I'm Steve, not only your keeper of arcane lore, but also host of this. I'm joined by my co-host, Emily, way Emily. And John, you know all of us, but we are honored tonight to have a very special guest, Vincent, with that Table Cat Games, where we're going to talk about his newly released jumpstart for his game, Street Wolves. Vincent, tell everybody who you are or where they can find you. I'm P. Vincent or Vincent or Paul. I have many names. Um, Table Cat Games is my Twitter. Um, you can find me various other places, but mostly I stick around Twitter all day. Um, and yeah, I'm making some games, basically one game right now. I have ideas for other ones. Um, I've also been in a few APs uh, with uh, Cross Crossroads Games uh, by Carrie Smith. Um, so, but mostly I, I just lurk on Twitter all day and, and say things to people. Retweet. That's all I do. That is great. So you have been really active on Twitter. Too uh, much. This, this is where, you know, uh, we, uh, you know, met uh, and I've been watching the the buildup and then the release for your your jump shot for street wolves so a lot of people out there have seen it but they haven't heard about it so let's talk about that tell us about you know the setting um where, where is street wolves what does that world look like um so the most accurate description would be it's a synth wave infused Neo Nor retro futuristic action adventure. <laughs> That's the fancy title. Uh, basically, it boils down to being rad and a bit moody. Um, tech is a bit ahead of where it actually was in the 80s, so it takes place in the late 80s. Um, but it's kind of like it, it's all it's seen through this synthwave lens, which we can get more into in a bit if you want. But it's it's got cool colors and cool cars and you know ragtag heroes and kind of like a mixture of everything i grew up with plus this whole synthwave aesthetic thing yeah that's awesome so i i let's see i was 16 in, in 1980 right so i was in the age i could really uh enjoy the 80s i really love the the way the artwork for your jumpstart really kind of captures that that neon synth wave vibe of the, of the whole thing. So you said a word earlier, uh, or a combination of words, retro-futuristic, which on its face seems like it's opposites, retro and futuristic. But if I understand you, and I want you to explain it a little bit more, but it's that this is the 80s, but the 80s that's a little bit more futuristic than the one we remember. Right. It's a little amped up. Um, so futurism is a concept or a movement of anticipating what will become. So, you know, like if we're sitting here right now, what will the future look like? And we try to map that out or come up with ideas. Retrofuturism is actually 
remembering that anticipation. So it's a look back at the future that the past imagined. Um, the, probably one of the most well-known examples of it would be um, Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow, that movie a bunch of years ago. Okay. That would be an example of like 1940s retrofuturism, right? Um, so Street Wolves is a retrofuturism of the 80s. So, you know, we were, we we're on the cusp of the digital technology, you know, CD-ROMs were, you know, they're around, but, you know, like there's all these weird... Um, integrations of technology like video phones which didn't really take off but they existed right just pdas just just things that didn't quite make it until like we had smartphones right like once the smartphone it like married all these technologies into one thing and then then it's like mainstream and every ha one has one um i also say there's a there's a concept too in this uh that I lean towards is cassette futurism. So that's that future envisioned in sci-fi in the seventies and eighties, like what you'd see in the, the, in alien, right? That mother computer with the big keyboards and C CRT monitors or the movie outland with um, Sean Connery. I really like that tech where it's like, it is the future, but we're using like cassette tapes and stuff. Uh, that's really cool. So, John, you're a you're a child of the '80s. You're probably you know close in in uh, that time frame with, with where uh, PV was at. So, uh, what do you think when you're thinking? And, and do you have any questions specifically for uh, PV about that? Well, I remember like the first little bit of contact I had with it. The immediate memory it brought up was the first trailer for grand theft auto vice city where you hear the flock of seagulls playing in you're like whoa what and then as it unfolds in front of you you're like oh man i've got to play this game and it didn't let me down and i don't think the jump start has come close to letting me down either at this point because it has a lot of the vibes, it doesn't feel like anything I've seen before. It looks really cool. And I didn't read the adventure because I knew Steve was probably going to want to run us through it. And I didn't want to get spoiled. <laughs> but the rest of it is so cool. Well, and thank you. I just wanted... One thing I did want to ask you. One of my favorite newer franchises has been The Expanse. You may not have heard of it, but it's like hard sci-fi. Basically, what happened was the authors got together because one of the authors got a hold of the other one's TTRPG world building. And they were like, oh, man, this is so cool. Have you ever thought of making a book from this? And they ended up making nine and it spun out into a TV show. If you were to have Street Wolves as a TV show book series movie... Who would you want playing the lead characters? Um, well, so first of all, I'd be very excited and I would love a check from Hollywood. So if anybody's right. listening right now, <laughs> I'm very open to whatever you can offer. Um, I would say 
first of all, I would like, you know, I want to say that, like, I would actually prefer it to be a TV show like on HBO Max because TV shows now seem like movies but are longer, like Peacemaker or Mandalorian or something like that. Um, but I would say that I'm kind of out of touch with modern pop pop culture, like who the celebrities are. They're people I don't know because like, I don't know, there, there's probably somebody on, tw- uh, no, not Twitch, um, TikTok that has like 10 million followers. I've never heard of it, but they'd probably be the star of the movie. I would just be happy if the cast looked like the pre-gen characters or the artwork or whatever. Like I, I would just be happy. Um, I, as, and as long as they were good at acting, <laughs> I know well, that's kind Keanu, of a non-answer. Keanu Reeves is still active, so. Well, yeah, I mean, we have like some of these elder statesmen of the <laughs> the eighties and nineties around, but you know, like I think of like, you know, who would be the, you know, twenty-year-olds today in those, you know, the younger Street Wolves, and I, I really don't know. So, synth wave, you, you know, this retro futuristic 80s, and, but, but you made sure it was important to you to put this synth wave vibe into it. So, tell us a little bit about how that affected your development of this, this world that Street World Wolves is in. So, I'm going to tell a really long story here and I apologize when the game started. It's the, the idea nugget was it was going to be a GI Joe game. Like I wanted to make a GI Joe game and I, I made the GI Joe game. It was called operation Wolfpack um, or special mission force Wolfpack or whatever. It kind of went through a couple names and I made this game and I used uh, open D six rules from uh, West End Games. They did the Star Wars, R- the original Star Wars RPG. So I ran it for a while, like just with my friends. Like we ran it f- consistently for like over a year, and then it kind of petered out a little bit. And then I did a Miami Vice crossover. Like literally, they were in, they were GI Joes in the world of Miami Vice, and it was a really big hit with the players because they were like, you know there was like a volleyball scene and there was going to the mall and and all this stuff. And so I kind of got tired of that game's rules. So the whole project kind of died and then the pandemic happened and I had nothing to do besides, you know, I was working from home and I didn't really have anything to do. And it kind of came to me that I could revive that concept. So I'm getting around to the point. I started bringing in some of the things that are associated with synthwave, like the the big grid. You know, you see that 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 grid, and then the mountains is kind of in the artwork a little bit. And um, a good friend of mine, Jason Ho, uh, he said, "Why don't you incorporate synthwave more into it? Like, just really lean into it." And I was a little reluctant at first, um, but as I did that, it just became its own thing, and it just felt really right. Like it, it was like the missing puzzle piece to this game to to really drive forward the artwork, the story, and everything. It was just 
like this magical marriage. So, you know, I'm really thankful for Jason for giving me that suggestion. That is an awesome origin story. Emily, <laughs> Emily, what are you thinking about all that? Have you got any questions for street wolves in general um, for, for PB? Um, so like I, I've told you before, uh, I'm not a child of the 80s, so a lot of this is new to me. And I kind of think that's kind of cool that we've got like people who lived through the 80s, people who were like kind of alive during the 80s. And then there's me who was a brand spanking new 90s kid. But um, I really like the synthwave thing. It reminds me a lot of media that I've seen just in my lifetime. And I've always thought it was really cool that like neon half cyber is amazing. And in my head, all I can think of is how everybody kind of <laughs> – um, upset that if you look at like Back to the Future, how we had hoverboards in 2015, and like now we don't, and it's kind of like futuristic 80s, but like they kept the 80s thread all the way up into 2015, and it's really cool, and I'm really excited to see how it plays out, um, and if I'm going to get a lot of the references in it, given that I wasn't you know around for it, but um, no, I am just super excited to be here and to get to hear about your your project because writing modules is something I would really like to be into, so I'm just really excited to be here. Cool. Well, if you have any questions at any time about working on modules or whatever, like I'm learning too, and I'm happy. And, you know, we have this whole community on Twitter right now where so many folks are super helpful and encouraging that, like, I would say really plug into that. Yeah, thank you. I will. So, you know, uh, on this wonderful layout that John put together for us, there's uh, a lot of, uh, of the artwork that's in, in the Jumpstart, um, you know, cycling through on our, our uh, Twitch screen. Um, what kind of uh, collaborations did, were you able to, to get into as you were making uh, Street Wolves uh, in general and then Jumpstart specifically? So I've been really grateful to get the help of a bunch of different friends and artists to kind of lend their hand or their ideas. Um, so I mentioned Jason Ho. He's, um, he's honestly one of the hardest working artists I know. He's an art director for Bongo Comics. They do like those Simpsons stuff. Um, and he was the Street Wolves art director. Uh, but he had to take a, he's kind of stepped down to, to um, work on his own things. Um, but he was super crucial, like I said earlier, to the early stages of the project, like leaning the synth wave or running ideas. Um, you know, I, I'd come to him with ideas for stuff and he would, he'd really help me uh, work through a lot of like art questions. And he actually ended up designing the, like, so Wolfpack is a thing in Street Wolves. He designed the Wolfpack logo. I, I don't know if it's like a wolf with a scarred eye. Um, it's a great, great. Yeah, I, love that. I was just stunned because I, I wanted something that was kind of like, you know, in G.I. Joe, there's that Cobra logo where it's real simple. I wanted something really simple that was like maybe two, three colors. And I, he really knocked it out of the park with that. Um, but I've also worked with a buddy michael todd he's jurassic todd um mostly online he's he's one of my closest confidants on the project um and he did all the art for the um the pre-gen characters so he did 
you know, all, all those. And then it's not in the um, jumpstart, but there is a Cabal of Shadows, which is one of the primary uh, antagonists in the game. He did the logo for that, and it's just killer. It's this skull with the earth, and it's just, it's so cool. Uh, I shared it a long time ago. I'll have to share it again, but he, that thing, it looks cool and scary. Um, but there's some other artists on the project where uh, Natalie and Bug, um, Gunmetal Draws. He did the uh, equipment, uh, so, you know, like the pager and all that stuff. I'm trying to think. I'm, oh, I, I'm forgetting. Uh, Curtis Square, he did the cover, which is so awesome. And I I believe that's probably over half the downloads are just based on that cover alone. So, Yeah, so I love that cover art. And then you turned it into kind of a movie poster, which was really smart, I thought. You know, the, the you know, making it look like what you'd see outside the theater for, you know, coming attractions, the next movies. They're coming out. John, you uh, you spent a lot of time looking at all the artwork through through the jumpstart and, and getting it lined up for our uh, for our Twitch feed here. Um, so what what did you notice? What kind of questions do you have about the, the art that went into all of this? I just wanted to uh reiterate something i heard that i thought was super cool jason ho is the guy who did the uniforms for star trek lower decks right he he did the pitch uniform which ended up being very close to the final uniform so yeah he he's done a, a ton of stuff but that's one of the coolest thing and it and actually uh i went to c2e2 and there was a one guy i saw dressed up in a lower decks uniform and it took his picture and i sent it to jason and he was just like ecstatic like somebody that would wear you know he, he really digs when people cosplay as uh, lower decks characters so well i definitely wouldn't mind doing that at some point if our resident seamstress <laughs> but uh i really like the there was a spread that i thought about putting some pieces of in the teaser stuff and was like no let's let him get the jump start to see that because it really was one of my favorite pieces in the entire thing and just from what you're seeing here it's only a small taste of the actual art that's in the jump start and it makes me I'm practically salivating for the book itself because <laughs> if it's all done with this amount of care and passion, it's going to be spectacular. I've been very adamant and, you know, I, I really appreciate the artists that have been willing to work with me because I'm, I have this vision of like, they should look like, like they, sometimes you, you say, it, this thing should looks like this thing. And then somebody has this idea and it, the, the characters all end up, looking like they're from now but with weird haircuts or something but i would take i take examples of actual people from the 80s they say let's use this kind of look and then the artists will go okay and then they'll run with it the, they have these incredible takes on it that are just you know i i'm always astounded when i get something back and it's just like better than what i had imagined um but you know i said on 
Twitter the other day that I'm getting a tax refund. And so that will help fund more art because my art budget was in a negative when I released uh, the jumpstart. And I was like, where am I going to get money for more awesome art? So thankfully the government is going to give me some of my money back. So, nice. so we, we've talked about, about the setting and what, what inspired you and who had great origin stories, starting with GI Joe um, to get you to street worlds. Um, so let's talk more now about the game itself. Um, you utilize the Savage World core system um, for this game. So let, let's talk a little bit about for those people that are watching and, and know they're interested in, in Street Wolves, um, but need to know a little bit about what the mechanics are, are built on. And before I kick it over to you, I'd just like to point out that uh, there on the screen, you know, if you hit uh, exclamation point street wolves, then it'll take you, give you a link off to go get the jump start yourself if you haven't wow. already got it. So, um, fancy. Wow. Um, John did his work here. So, could you um, put in my PayPal account in there too? So, <laughs> yeah, just we link could. that right in there. <laughs> Good. So, is that the is that the itch link in there? I believe it is. And if uh, it is, I just want to say if you give any money to the jumpstart till the end of March, I'm giving the money to humanitarian aid in Ukraine. Because Enbug uh is the artist uh Natalie, she is Ukrainian. So uh I asked her if she needed anything and she said just donate money to you know us to help us out so yeah that is that is awesome and and i know they appreciate it and thank you for for doing that um so i'm gonna we're gonna get more into the specifics of the of, of street wolves and the jump start here in just a minute but let, let's lay a little bit of a foundation um savage world game system that's different from 5e and some other game systems out there and it's your your skills are are based on a certain die size you know start off at d4 and then it could progress up to a d12 and then you'd roll those die or dice um to try and hit target numbers whether it's to hit somebody or to successfully complete something but um, tell me what you like about you know Savage Worlds and why you decided to use Savage Worlds as the as the underpinnings of, of Street World. So we talked about the origin of Star Wars uh, West End games turning into GI Joe. When I was looking around at systems that I could use, because I'm not really a mechanics guy, I'm more story. So I wanted to use a system that existed out there that I could use the mechanics and then adapt them to fit what was in my brain. And when I found Savage Worlds, it was sort of similar in some respects to that Star Wars system where it was skill-based, except instead of using dice pools where, so in Star Wars, if you wanted to shoot, you could have like 3D6 or 5D6 or whatever. You'd be one of the reasons why I ended up not liking it is uh, when my characters 
or the players leveled high enough. You don't really level you advance, but they would be rolling these huge piles of D sixes, like seven D six, which is fun, but it also slows the game down when you're trying to add up all these D six. This is similar in that it's skill based where you have a fighting or you have a whatever, and you only roll the one. Well, you roll two dice, but you, you have one die associated to that skill. So fighting would be a D four up to a D 12. And then you also roll a second die, which is your wild die, which I don't know how deep you want to get into this, but um, that gives you a chance to succeed if your initial skill die or trait die, um, you know, you fail on that. And the, and it's the thing I like too. There's so many things that I like about Savage Worlds. So I'm going to try not to talk your ear up. But uh, one of the things at its core is most times you're rolling, you're trying to beat a four, which is really easy to remember. You know, it's a plus one or two or whatever, but you still got to try to beat a four. It's not a sliding scale or, you know, I used to play games. Um, I used to play a lot of um, Star Wars Saga Edition. And that's kind of like D&D where, you know, the skill number can be, you know, 10, 15, 20. You, you try to determine how hard it is as a GM as you're running the game. This is like four. It's, you know. I'm sorry, you can't beat a four. You know, let's let's right. move on. Um, but there's that. There's uh, I like that it's classless, so you don't pick a class and then you go down this path. You can be, you know, a hacker that is also a ninja, right? You can you you don't have to go down this path. And in Street Wolves, the core book and the jumpstart reflects this a little bit but it's kind of hidden is that there's professions that when you make your character you get a little bit of a bonus for being a driver you know you get a bonus for driving and you get certain gear um but once that's done then you do whatever you want with that character and you don't have to use professions either i I should add that it's just an option but you know it's to try to encourage certain character types. Um, but uh, I really like that you, you use, and I, I think you wanted to bring this up, uh, was hindrances and edges. Um, you use hindrances are basically negatives for your character. Like maybe they're a little cowardly or they shoot their mouth off or something like that. Um, you, you pick a couple of those generally, and then you pick, you know, they give you a little bit of points or whatever for building your character. And then you pick edges, which like, what are some things your character is particularly good at? And that further develops your character. Like, um, he's a quick draw or shoots really fast or does crazy acrobatics. All those are like edges. And combined you you make this character concept that's you know and i in play it works out really well yeah i really like the the edges and hindrances part of the savage world system right because that 
being a classless system, that's the things you can use to make your character unique. And, and what are, they're good at. Yeah. Right, and there are dozens and dozens of choices in, in just the core Savage Worlds book that, that you can pick. So like you said, I think Hacker and a Ninja, right? There are edges out there to let you be good at both things. So you're not tied down to I'm just a hack and slash fighter or I'm just the party's healer, right? You can form yourself the way you envisioned this character. So I really like that one classless system and then the use of those hindrances and edges to to create the character that you really want. I also love the hindrances Look, in like 5e and some other games, you know, maybe you have a flaw and maybe you find an occasion to role play that flaw a little bit. So it gives you a nice rounder character. This game system really pushes that, right? You've got these hindrances that are going to affect you anywhere. And not only gives you a character flaw that is role playable, but a character flaw that's going to have actual impact in the, the, the mechanics of the game and, and rolling dice. Yeah, quite a few hindrances, not all of them, but quite a few have some sort of, you know, impact mechanically. And, you know, going on that, if you play towards your hindrances, GMs are encouraged to give you a Benny for it, which that's a whole other ball of wax that we haven't talked about is the Bennies, the, the reward system that it's basically the currency the game runs on, where, you know, you give a Benny and you can use it to re-roll or soap damage which is a you know so you don't get hurt um but you know it's just it's another thing just to encourage you to act in character right like my character's a coward so i'm gonna run away from this fight well here's a benny good job you know your your team might not be happy with you but you're acting like your character would act right and i think it's important to have the more mechanical things going on because in D&D they have flaws too but how often do you actually see people doing that so I'm kind of glad there's more of a you get this done kind of thing in it but Steve over here plays his faults in D&D to a literal fault you know like he holds on to that fault (laughs) (laughs) well I have lately gotten more interested in the role playing and as you were saying pb the the storytelling aspect of of role play games and less interested in the combat aspect of them so that is something that i really have enjoyed uh, about learning savage worlds it seems like that it really provides some really good avenues for you to experience and explore the role-playing nature of it. So, you know, when I heard about Savage World, it was from Carrie Smith's Deadlands, The Crossroad, right? And to watch the level of role-playing in there, uh, and then to read up on Savage Worlds and see how that system was helping. And she's got great people on that show, and she's a wonderful... Like uh, me. Right, like you. Um, she's a wonderful DM, but then to see that system after watching that game, say, 
seeing how that system fed the the or, or created this role play space. Uh, I really like that. So, uh, but I don't want to I don't want to just gloss over the bennies because I love that aspect of <laughs> the Savage World as well. So, generally speaking, a binny is an opportunity to re-roll a dice, uh, avoid taking some damage, draw a new card, um, and the one of the optional ones I like is influencing the story in a minor way, uh, and I allow that at my table. So. An example would be these, the, a wolf pack was trying to <laughs> escape uh, just the cops showing up. There was like this explosion and they wanted to get away. And is there a car nearby that has the keys in it? Well, I don't know this, you know, you could do a luck roll, right? Like I like doing luck rolls where it's, you know, 50% chance, you know, that there's something there, but if you spend a Benny, then sure, there's a car there, you know, right? Um, you know, just small things. You know, is there? Uh, I think somebody was talking about this the other day. Is there a fire extinguisher in the room? I don't spend a penny. There will be, right? Right. Um, so that sort of stuff. Yeah. So one one last thing I want to talk about on Savage Worlds, uh, the underpinnings, right? That core system, and that is the the method by which order of combat is determined. Yeah. Right. Um, so in Savage Worlds, they use a, a deck of cards, leave the jokers in. And when you get into combat, everybody has dealt a card. And the higher value your card, the, the sooner in combat you would, you would go. Um, and if there's ties, like... Uh, Two people got a jack well then there's an order of the suits of the card that can help break that tie it's kind of cool but what's re what i really like about it is every round of combat the card a card is drawn yeah so i may go first in this round of combat and last in the next round of combat i really like that you've played um this system before how do you how do you like that aspect of uh Initiative the best. <laughs> yeah. I I hate like D&D &D, you get low in the order and for the next 30 minutes or an hour or whatever you're last in line to go and I you know I, I'll be honest I don't run a ton of combat in Street Wolves because most of my missions that I've designed start out as an investigation that kind of leads from this to this and there might be a little a little fist fight here or whatever, but I, I generally don't do bigger fights. They usually happen at the end because, you know, the players have screwed around enough and now somebody wants to kill them. Um, but when I do run combat, it's so fun and exciting to just not be stuck in this same loop every time. Um, you know, maybe some people like, like knowing that if they're going to be at top of the order, they're going to be top of the order the whole time. But I don't know. In, in practice, I, it's, it's this exciting moment. Every round you draw those cards, you know, you sort them out who gets what am I going to get, you know, did I get a good card, you know, and then, Oh no, I'm at the bottom. I got, you know, and then, so there's all this extra drama injected in each round 
Yeah, and that's another opportunity to use bennies, right? You got a low card, you can use your binny to draw a new card. Or if you have an edge, you can draw two cards right away or, or whatever. Right. So Emily PV just mentioned, you know, that, that he writes a scenario is more investigation heavy and then might culminate into a, a, a large fight at the end. I know when we switched over to Call of Cthulhu, that really um, tweaked your interest, right? The, mm -hmm. the investigation and role play, instead of just less travel from one combat encounter to another. So so what are your thoughts? And you got any questions on that? In that um, so I did have a question I was going to ask. Um, so a lot of times, you know, when you're doing combat rounds in a standard initiative order, you start to like plan out strategically like, you know, I know that Steve is going to move on his next turn, so I'm going to be able to, my turn before that, move to give him flanking. Do you find that you lose some of that strategical planning um, in this game system, or do you see it more as, like, on-the-fly kind of ingenuity? Well, you know, I haven't really encountered that, because, honestly, I've really only played Savage Worlds as a player a little bit uh in carry streams <laughs> essentially that's it um so i never really had that problem because uh, in my head generally what i want to do when i'm doing combat is usually to shoot <laughs> i'm pretty it's always to, a good, good i want to shoot or stab or i i or throw something um but it is a crunchy enough system where once especially in the combat area where there's all these these subsystems and pieces in place that if you really wanted to count how many squares there are and and, and get kind of more um in the weeds with tactics you can because savage rolls actually started as a minis combat game and it kind of grew out from there. Now, as far as screwing up your plans or whatever, I really haven't had a problem with that. I'll say the only problem I've had with that as a GM is there's been a few times where I'll have my big bad, right? And I'm not going to say which one or give an example because it's probably an adventure published. No in the, spoilers. In the future, no spoilers. <laughs> but I had a big bad and there were, they had their speech and all this stuff and they came up low in the order and the heroes did a power, which we may, might talk about powers in a little bit. And they rolled so high that it was basically like all the, the big bad and his biggest minion just got vaporized in like <laughs> the one He didn't even get to do the big villain speech. That's a I waste. <laughs> he got to talk a little bit, but you know, but that can happen really in any game, right? Like if, oh, yeah. if you get low in the order and all of a sudden like you have five uh, fighters sm you know, smashing your you're big yeah, bad. Definitely. Um, we we'll just have far to as... develop an edge that is called you know villain's monologue and you can insert you need to it anywhere. <laughs> That's yeah. a great one. Uh, uh, no, but uh, Steve, you're right. When we went to Call of Cthulhu, I was super uh, interested in the investigation because it was nice to get to uh, not just explore the storyline, but explore how your character reacts to the storyline. Um, in our game, you know, the way that my character 
wants to handle problems is very different than the way John's character wants to. And then getting to see how those two people react with each other. It's a, it's a, it's almost like an experiment in the, in human nature and getting to see how we problem solve and what things stand out to us. Cause sometimes, you know, Steve will be saying, okay, well, here's these things. And me and John are like, it's this one thing over here. And in his mind, Steve is like, no, that's, that means nothing. That is literally a piece of trash on the ground. But me and John are so sure that that is an important piece of trash. (laughs) Yeah. So I really like the role play and the investigation because you get to kind of see how your players think and lean into that and give them that really fun experience that really tailors to what they enjoy. So I think it's a great, great premise. Well, you know, honestly, uh, I don't really sell it as this or bring it up that often, but I am pretty heavily influenced by the game Delta Green, which is like Call of Cthulhu, but more nihilistic. So like what you're talking about is the investigations and, you know, figuring things out and the players trying to like, you know, have these discussions. Well, what should we do? Should we do this? You know, and making tough choices all that stuff really kind of sunk into me is like, this is the good stuff. And I do run Delta green. Uh, I've been running impossible landscapes for almost a year now. It feels like, Um, but uh, you know, I've run a bunch of other scenarios and it's, it's my favorite game to run that isn't street wolves. Um, But so it's, it's, I can't say it hasn't influenced me, uh, but it's, it street wolves is far less deadly right it's way more action more over the top even right. though it is gritty but it's not like you know insta deaths or, right. or you know going insane or anything like that no yeah definitely hey so baby you you mentioned it and alluded to it i guess the only part of savage world system that we haven't done a broad brush stroke on is is powers right um how does weirdness or magic come into a savage world setting and that's basically where they use powers is is that correct yeah so um in deadlands for example you have characters uh that have weird science and that's technically a power or you have hucksters which are magic casters that use cards to do their powers um and then there's also like you know all kinds of other games where there's superheroes and all that kind of stuff in street wolves i didn't want powers at first it was more like no this is about street level essentially detectives or problem solvers it's not magic or any of this kind of stuff but then as the synth wave influence kind of creeped its way into me i added a sort of low level or um, low level setting power thing where there's i don't know how much you want me to get into this but a lot Okay. Okay. Well, I'm just going to read from the core book document right now. Now, um, (laughs) there's cities around the world that something happened. And at night, there's all these colors in the sky. So basically to match synthwave art. Like, why is the sky always like a weird color, right? Well, because of this. Um, 
that causes lights to glow and whatnot. And people say it's not harmful, but a very small portion of the population can get powers from it. Um, and the powers aren't magic. They're basically like kind of weird science-y kind of based thing. Um, so this is a great transition into what I wanted to go into next, right? So we, we yeah. talked about Savage World. Cool. Now we understand the game system that's built on. Let's get ourselves back to what we really want to talk about, and that is that street world. So um, the great thing about that system is it's really setting agnostic, right? So now you get to take your retro futuristic synth wave setting and place that on top of there. So I would love to hear some of uh, you know what you could tell us about how you work edges and hindrances that were setting specific to use those mechanics of the underlying system. So unfortunately for me, the suede book uh, had, I'm sorry, I have a phone that keeps going off here. Um, the suede book has these very good hindrances that apply to so many circumstances, especially the modern things I was thinking of. So I would sit there and I'd be, you know, early in the development. I was like, oh, that'd be a great idea. I'd be writing stuff down and then I'd look it up and it's like, no, that's too similar to this hindrance or whatever. Uh, but I managed to come up with a few. Um, so, you know, you're just thinking about that world and what isn't addressed in the Savage Worlds book and what can flavor it thematically. So, you know, one of the funny, you know, and then also I, I like to have kind of funny things to, to make interesting uh, scenarios happen in the game. So one of them is high score royalty, right? So that one is basically a, vi a video game addiction. You want to be at the top of the leaderboard at the local Pac-Man machine, right? And that one actually paid off. It was really funny. Uh, I ran a scenario where two of the characters had high score royalty, two of the players' characters. And so then there was this whole scene where they were both trying to beat each other on a video game for like a portion. It was this really fun moment that just came out of this, you know, hindrance I, I made. And I lived through that exact moment multiple times <laughs> in the 80s where, you, go. you know, somebody is standing watch over somebody else to make sure they don't beat their high score. And then they beat it. And they're like, okay, now that person's got to get back on the game. And everybody yeah. else, it was almost like a sporting event, right? All the rest of us kids with very few quarters left in our pocket, standing around watching these two yeah. geniuses go at it. Right. It's very 80s. So, yeah, that's, that's one of the ones I managed to come up with. Um, and there's some others. So I watched a lot of Miami Vice, a big influence on me for the game. And there's a lot of relationship type stuff in it where bad romances and all that kind of stuff. You don't have to include any of that in a Street Wolves game. Um, but if you want to, it's there because I'm trying to reflect that world where an ex-girlfriend can show up and screw up the mission because she has a vendetta against the bad guy you're, you're going to fight. Right. Um, so there are some hindrances that are relationship based. So, you know, unlucky in love, you, you end up falling for people that actually aren't 
very good matches, right? Or hard to love would be like you just give off this aura of like a jerk or something, right? Um, yeah, John. <laughs> <laughs> or that, so, that that 80s show there's always that cop that i guess they probably still use this trope today that is just so emotionally unavailable for their girlfriend that it always there's always this side story going on about, that'd be hard to love oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah 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 and then i also that so i have a, a thing called drive in the game which reflects like you know that that the cops are you know working so hard and, and they just keep they're not making a difference and so they they seem to be kind of losing control right like Sonny crockett goes into like a, a gangster's house and beats him up in one of the episodes um and so drive kind of helps reflect that a bit um but you know so i have a hindrance that's cold-blooded where it's like you don't care you know like who cares i you know i do what i want so it, so you, you try to think of these things that are thematically appropriate and also at the same time enhance the things you've built into the game. You know, like you have all these pieces that kind of work together. Right. So was it a combination and, and how much of each did you get a chance to do? Was some of it just reskinning or reflavoring some of the existing hindrances and how much of it was you know, really having to construct one from the ground up. The, the Sway book gives a really, some really good uh, guidelines for how to create your own, but also yeah. suggests that, you know, maybe you could just take one that we've already done and, and name it something different if that works for you. I try not to do the renaming just because it feels kind of cheap and you can do that on your own. Like, right. why am I going to rename this? You can just do this. Um, the one I did do that with was uh i can't think of the name wanted that's it i i call i have renegade where it's the same thing essentially except you didn't do the actual crime and wanted you're wanted for a crime and renegated you're wanted for a crime that you didn't do it's also named after the tv show starring lorenzo lamas um so yeah i i try to just come up with things that aren't in the book already or if they are try to come up with a different angle to it to justify its existence. And it, as far as edges go, I would kind of do the same thing. So does it exist in the core book? Yes. Well, I don't need to do anything with it. What is missing in the core book that might be helpful to a player? So John, what are your thoughts? I saw your face light up with the Lorenzo Lamas uh, reference. So thoughts, questions? That was like one of my favorite shows when I was just a little one. I yeah, used so to it's, like. It's not limited to the '80s. I am stealing things from the '90s too. So. Well, we live in Georgia, and Georgia's a little bit backwards. So that line between 1989 and 1994. Very like blurry. Everybody in '94 still have mullets here, so. <laughs> they still well, have I, mullets i'm from wisconsin so we had the same thing right so <laughs> but uh renegade was one of my favorites and i would be like six years old just glued to the tv like what's gonna happen and uh xena and that other show that i don't like anymore <laughs> okay but yeah yeah i uh i haven't watched as much renegade as i'd like but 
I, I definitely like, you know, it fits into that, that genre of TV show of, you know, mysterious stranger shows up to town, solves some problems and then must move on. Like, you know, the Hulk or the 18 or, or, you know, there's so many shows where it's like, you just move from town to town. It's kind of like if they made a TV show out of roadhouse, but instead of the one roadhouse, it was like every roadhouse, every town has a roadhouse. <laughs> yeah. All right, so PV, you started to, started to talk about uh, edges a little bit. So can you give us a, a little taste or, or hint of what some of the 80s-themed um, edges are? Uh, so it's a, there's a few, there's a, quite a few that I have in the core book. Uh, it's probably a tie between my favorite ones right now, which... One of them is Into the Groove. So essentially you're listening to music and it enhances your performance at driving or whatever. Um, that's kind of a play on the, that uh, trope that really is seen in Baby Driver. I don't know if you're familiar with that movie. Love that movie. Yeah. So where he's got to, you know, he's listening to his music and the whole world around him makes sense. So into the groove is, is essentially that. Um, I also really dig fashionista. Uh, that one, because street wolves are so many investigations and you know, you're, you're meeting with high society types or, or going to a nightclub or whatever fashionista fashionista allows you to know what kind of outfit is appropriate for the situation and then gives you a bonus to like persuasion or whatever while you're at that thing. Um, that's so that's I really a, like that one, by the way. When I, through the, when I read through the Jumpstart, I also like that you can actually use that to kind of buff up your your other party members. Like, yeah, you can uh, tell them like dress a little bit better, right? Because that's the kind of stuff that would come up a lot in the original, you know, in the first version of Street Wolves. You know, and as I was developing it, it's like the team would want to go to a nightclub and they'd show up and they'd be completely wearing like, you know, tactical outfits or something. Right. Like, no, people are not going to treat you the same, you know, if you don't look the part. So. Right. Yeah. It wasn't until the late 90s that you could, you know, wear combat gear to a party. and fit in. <laughs> there you go. Um, otherwise, uh, two other ones that. I'm still kind of working on a smooth operator as a seduction bonus based on the song title. Um, All in the reflexes, which is you can catch thrown weapons, which is a big trouble in little China callback. By the way, I hope no copyright lawyers are listening right now because I could get in trouble. Uh, and one, one that I got to test more is one liner ace and so if you dispatch an enemy there's a chance that you can get bennies but you have to make like a one liner like chill out or whatever after you've killed them with an ice ice pick or something you know dude i, I have to have that edge for any character that i <laughs> perfect yeah um so the equipment you started to talk about the equipment i imagine that that the equipment area was just just ripe for you to have some 80s retro futuristic fun 
in. I know from reading the jump start that, uh, you know, you, you go over the pager, bag phones, that, I mean, there's just a bunch of stuff you could grab there. How, how, was, how did you go through that? What was it like? So I ended up looking at a lot of, um, there's Instagram, they've got all these accounts that are like new wave retro or whatever, and they'll share prototype stuff things that didn't quite exist, things that did exist, but you didn't hear about. So I kind of, I did a lot of research on that sort of thing of like, well, what, what would work for this setting? Um, unfortunately, so like I said, Savage Worlds is basically mid crunch. So there's not a ton of nuance in like in the gear, as far as like weapons, right? Like pistols, like, you could look at a list of pistols, but they're essentially very close to each other in some ways, right? Like, um, so, so there's a lot of things I like that I want to put into the game, but maybe don't have that mechanical benefit. It's more of, you know, like I'm not going to list like a fax machine, right? In the, in the gear list, but there's certain things where, I think, okay, well, that thing can put into the game and it gives it some sort of flavor and, you know, I can associate a cost to it, you know, like, like what is a laptop in this, right? And Well, a laptop probably uses a floppy disk, so I got to put a floppy disk in there. And, or if it's super expensive, it can use a CD-ROM drive, right? So that's kind of how I went through it was, what are essential pieces of equipment that I can add this to this to flavor it that an agent might be carrying around or operator might be carrying around? And what are some other things that may interact with that thing and then add those things? Um, a big thing in the game is VR. So it's that world in the 90s where, you know, you'd watch a TV show or whatever and a person put on big VR goggles and there is VR world and it's it's the next big thing and it's amazing that's real in street wolves like vr is a big thing um so there's like three vr kits and there's some rules around vr vr but i am again not super strong mechanically minded there's a good guideline for how to use vr for like things like hacking but i don't have a whole hacking system that's new right that for this uh i would recommend instead picking up um sprawl runners which you can pull pieces out of that if you want there's this thing called fast lane hacking if you really wanted to get in hacking otherwise i say use dramatic text i'm sorry if if this is all too deep no, but no it fits well into a question that i was about to ask so okay so i mean you could just set hacking up as a skill Right, if you just want yeah. to go very basic with it and not put layers of mechanics on top of it, and you know, so I'm a hacker. But you know, as I was looking through the jumpstart and and looking at some of the equipment, like there were laptops and there was VR. But one thing I loved was you explicitly pointed out, but there was no internet, there was no connectivity to all of this stuff, so I couldn't sit at my house use my hacking skill 
and hacking into the computer of Evil Corp to get the information. Well, right? if you watched War Games, it was uh, possible. <laughs> that's right. Um, so I just I, I say that a lot of that stuff is more rare. That remote network connection stuff. So it sets up the possibility for some great adventures and scenarios where you know the street wolves have to infiltrate some building to be able to get into their computer system to get the the data or the evidence or whatnot. Yeah, it's more of that old school. You have to be on site a lot of times because the way networks are set up is there is a network, the internet. It's very not as widely adopted. So it's a lot of closed networks, you know, like AOL or whatever. So one of the ideas I have is like, if you want to break into the evil corp network, well, then you go to an evil corp site, you know, satellite branch or something, and then you can then connect to their network from there. I haven't actually, and this is funny. I haven't played a lot of cyberpunk and that's why I don't really feel comfortable <laughs> getting into all the hacking stuff as much, but I feel like I have enough there that if you wanted to expand it you could but so one of the things i have um in mind is that you know there's that issue of hacking and cyberpunk i've heard where the hacker is off having their hacking adventure and then the other what do you do with the other characters well in street wolves if you put on vr gear and you're hacking that way you're basically using all your skills and stuff that you have the hacker can just get you into the system, and then once you're into the system, you got you're all running around shooting all your um, digital guns or whatever. So you can you could handle it like a regular encounter then if you wanted to. Emily, what you thinking? What kind of questions you got? I was just really uh, in, enveloped in the the thought of hacking and going to the the locations and, and breaking in, and I was getting carried away with my imagination. Of like '80s, like dodge roll through corridors and uh, laser beam hallways and all that good stuff. So <laughs> I was just and enjoying. This so, reminded me of a lot of '80s movies where you actually had to get into the place to, you know, put your little memory stick into uh, one of their computers yeah. to pull something out. Uh, you know, whereas you know in, in you know the 2000s and 2010s, 2020s movies now. You know, you can see the the hacker just sitting somewhere very remote and, and hacking. It's a whole different vibe. But I really like that 80s vibe where there was that infiltration part physically before you could get to the 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 virtual infiltration part. So, yeah, John, that, that's. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Peter. I was just going to say, yeah, that's a big part of one of the reasons why I like this setting. Besides nostalgia is i love the whole um limitations you know where you can't just sit and look things up where that's one reason i talked about delta green earlier one reason why i enjoy running delta green in the 1990s is yes there's an internet yes you can look things up but you're so much more limited like you know your cell phone is basically a phone most of the times right um and so I, I enjoy that aspect of it where there's these limitations within it, but then there's 
in street wolves there's these fun things where it's where you're gonna make a phone call and it's a video phone and we had uh i, I don't want to spoil a jump start the players had to make a phone call but then it was a video phone so then they kind of dressed themselves up and then they put like a, a jacket over it so they couldn't see that they're calling from the street and it's just just fun stuff like that that's just kind of makes you laugh or whatever John, what are you thinking? What kind of questions have you got for, for Vincent? This brings up a lot of... Uh, I looked a little bit around in your Discord through the dev notes and all that because I was just curious like what was going through your head. And Oh, boy. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, it's, it was very interesting to me, at least, but I have a weird little brain. But uh, at what point were you like you know what, this hacking stuff, maybe I should push it aside for right now and concentrate on the things that I think I can do a little bit more with. Was there a breaking point for it or was it kind I was, of a... Yeah, I was never super comfortable with it. It worked. We ran at least one session and it, it worked. The player had this incredible role where they hacked through like six layers of whatever in one roll because of the exploding dice. Um, but I just never felt really comfortable with it. And I, I'm sure other people have done that better. So, you know what, I'm going to strip out what isn't working for me. doesn't make me feel good. And then kind of massage it into the existing Savage World settings where you know, you can make it a dramatic task and here's how you can make it a dramatic task. Um, and then once I did that, I felt a lot better. It felt like a, a weight had been lifted off my chest because I just, you know, in my head, I have these negative people living in there and these, and I released the book and then they're just like, Oh, this hacking's terrible. And I'm like, I knew it. So I kind of listened to the, those inner critics. So maybe you shouldn't all the time, but I feel like at that point it was the right decision. That reminds so, me of another thing too, that I was thinking about. I know imposter syndrome is a big word today. And I've seen sometimes where you're like, kind of seemingly struggling with it yourself. And I was wondering if you had a special trick to get through it or if it was kind of a, you just give it some time thing. So what I'm about to say may be controversial, oh, but no. I, yeah, this is exclusive. <laughs> I don't feel You heard like, it here first. <laughs> I don't feel like I have <clears throat> imposter syndrome because I feel like I, whatever I write is as good as what other people have done. Like, I, I don't feel like I'm, I don't belong in this space or anything like that. What I do suffer from is low self-esteem and anxiety, you know, and I, I think they kind of feed into each other, but more like it's, it's more like I, I, I realize that nobody knows what they're doing for imposter syndrome. Nobody knows what they're doing. We're all faking it. Everyone's a fraud. There might be people who know more than you. You know, they, they know a little bit more than you. And that's why they're where they are. 
but they started out just like you, you know? Um, so for me, it's more about fighting negative self image. And to do that, uh, a lot of times it's mostly recognizing those thoughts as they occur and then addressing them. So, you know, you're not good enough, whatever you have to be like, no, stop it. Those are bad thoughts. They, it, irrational um you're you know it's that whole thing of your your own worst critic um that there's a scene now anybody here watch deadwood oh i love it okay there's this scene where jody is suffering from severe depression and she hates herself and and there's that moment where oh, I can't think of his name. And he's like, well, what did you think about wild bill? And she says, Oh, I love wild bill. He was a great man. And he's like, do you know, he felt about himself like you feel about yourself. And do you think he would have been a good judge of his own character? And she's like, no. And that's kind of how I look at it. It's like, you know, you know, you may think bad things about yourself, but you know, others, probably don't right unless you're a terrible person <laughs> which you are not and you are very well highly thought of in, in the ttrpg space see now i'm just gonna get a big head and become a big uh jerk big jerk well, big problem when, when that happens i'm just gonna remind you i took a note this is a direct quote from from paul vincent everybody's faking it nobody knows what they're doing exactly <laughs> nobody knows i love that i actually had to write that one down so all right, so you put together, you conceptualize like 80s synthwave, retrofuturistic. I'm making, I'm making this game. I'm building this book. I'm going to put out a jump start, right? And so, the the goal of the jump start is to quickly and easily. And correct me if I'm wrong. And if this wasn't your goal, then you can explain it. But to to give people a quick, easy way to to dip their toe into your your thing, your game, your world, or, or to quickly submerge themselves. So that kind of drives a couple of things, right? One, you got to give them quick synopsis of, of what the thing is, not as much as you put in the, in the full book. You kind of got to give them some pre-gen characters, and you kind of got to give them that first adventure that they could run um, that is, Rules like let them see how fun this is. So, so talk to me some about pre-gen characters, and you know, without giving anything away, the the process of deciding what adventure you're going to tag on to your your jumpstart. So the jumpstart was mostly. So I wasn't going to do one originally, um, but just it kind of developed where. I have to have so many releases on drive through in order to become um, verified or whatever. And I was like, I'm just going to have the core book out there. So I came up with the jumpstart archetypes and then the core book, the jumpstart characters. Whenever I've come up with characters for the game, for other people to use, I try to look for interesting tropes and then turn them on their head a little bit um, and have like a diverse cast of characters that you nor normally 
didn't see as the leads, right? Every, every pre-gen character I make, I see as the lead, right? Cause it's the lead in that player's story. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I try to come up with interesting options and, you know, I had bigger stories for them, but they ended up getting cut out because of space. Um, and as far as the adventure goes, that was like, I don't have any adventures that will work for this. Oh my God, what am I going to do? I started brainstorming. That adventure was supposed to be a lot shorter, but I can't help myself. I write really <laughs> long adventures that are super detailed i kind of went and i talked about delta green i go to the delta green school of adventure writing where i there's a lot of detail so even though it's not i try not to railroad particularly i try to just present a bunch of options you know in some of those i probably don't have to present uh i don't want to spoil anything so uh, you know, I, I won't go too deep into it, but there's certain things where it's like, well, characters are probably not going to find this thing. The players are probably not going to find this thing. But I wanted to put it in there just in case, but also give a GM maybe an extra detail on maybe a future adventure they could run. Maybe they could include that thing. Um, but you were you were talking about cutting out stuff or, or presenting it just the right amount of things for somebody to jump into it and uh i had way too much in it originally and um one dm to another that's her twitter handle she came down she came down on me uh, i thought you were about funny. to tell me a secret. Right. no 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 one dm to another is her twitter handle. uh victoria uh she was really funny she like came at, at like gave me like academic advice where it was kind of like very straightforward just like cut this cut this you don't need this and that was the first time somebody was as straightforward with me you know because everyone's trying to be really nice and encouraging and they don't want to be like you don't need this this sucks or whatever she didn't say that but <laughs> but that really kicked me into gear where it's like i gotta get rid of all this stuff then you know she's totally right you know so i you know thank you for that um because the jumpstart was a lot better than it was more streamlined. There are people that want more detail on things. It's like, I understand that, but that's what the core book is for. You know, this thing is, you know, people have paid money, which is really awesome. And I'm so grateful for anybody that's given me a dollar or way more. Some people have given a lot more, uh, super grateful, but essentially this thing is a free product and I didn't want to like, you know, give give everything away on this this go around so sure well so let's talk um about the jump start more uh structurally like it's beautiful theory the the art i, I saw uh uh you're making discussion. me blush <laughs> and it's coming through <laughs> on the camera really well too um I saw a discussion you had on on Twitter where you, you kind of laid out some some here are things I've I've come to understand or learn through this process, uh, and you were talking about 
contrast of your of your type set, right? The, the words you've got on the paper and the background. Um, the, the blast of color and that neon 80s look to the art and you know with the on the sides of, of the pages <laughs> and then that high contrast white and black type it just it it reads and looks very appealing but it also kind of puts you in put me in the setting as well so what's accomplished yeah <laughs> so exactly what you. you're trying to check the box yeah so, so you know, what how was you know i mean coming up with the idea and what were the 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 edges and hindrances okay that's all the fun part of it but then the the nug work of how do i lay this thing out and how do i present it in such a way what was that what was that like that process of going through that so i'm a web designer essentially in my day job um and that's a, something that where it's like i fake it till you make it probably why I feel less of an imposter. Um, and so I've done web and UI UX work for the last few years. And so I'm kind of in that world of trying to present something that's clear and focused and looks nice, you know, making that balance of form and function I'm not the world's best designer by any means. There's people who are way better than me. Like I put myself at fairly competent. Um, what I did for this was I just went around and looked at examples. Now it was a little hard because there's not a lot of synth wave publications. It's mostly a lot of uh, cyberpunk, which is not synth wave. Um, but I tried to look at what is in synthwave art. What do I see a lot of? How do I replicate that in a layout? So shapes and colors and, and all these sorts of things, some kind of futuristic text. Um, and, you know, you look at the fundamentals of design for magazine layouts or book layouts, like, you know, I don't have a, I'm not somebody that has a ton of role-playing book game books and a lot of the ones I have are really old, but you know, I, I page through them to see what works in those. Um, and the reason why there's those sidebars was I wanted to do the white background because most RPGs you'll see, they'll have some sort of textured background. So D&D, it's like parchment paper. Uh, Delta Green, they do everything kind of like on... A lot of it looks like it's been printed on something. Um, but it was like, well, how do I do that with Synthwave? Because it's so dark. Well, I'll do a white background for the text, colored bars on the sides to kind of make up for the lack of the color on the main page. I am very tempted to and i'm probably going to make a dark mode version of this maybe the jump start but the core book probably where it's that black background and white text and i would do both versions so it's a good amount of work so i, I haven't quite you know guaranteed that that will happen but i feel like that would look really good 
uh, if I can pull it off. Um, one thing about colors, and here's a big another big exclusive. I, I've said this before, but I don't make a big deal about it. I'm partially colorblind. I don't see every color that most people do. Wow. So the way I get around that is I use color palettes. And there's this wonderful color palette that somebody put out there. It's like the Outrun color palette. And it's got all these colors in sets. And I just use that. You know, I just color sample. I take those colors and, you know... If I'm making a gradient, I'll say, okay, well, what are the five colors here that'll work? You know, and then if somebody tells me, you know, why is this purple when you, you know, it should be blue? Like, why is the, the ocean purple or whatever? I'm like, oops, <laughs> sorry, I didn't realize it. Whoopsie. I, I, I can, and don't get me wrong, I can see a lot of colors. It's just, it's, it's like a narrower band than most other people. So John. it feels good to confess that out loud. <laughs> yeah, well, well, I'm glad you can confide in us. John, you've uh, you've looked all through the, the jumpstart as well, and uh, you know you're kind of our resident uh, layout uh, person. How, how do you how did it feel to you looking at that thing, um, the, the layout, the art, the contrast? I thought it was great, but full disclosure, I'm red, green, colorblind as well. So nice. Yeah, that's go. what I was thinking. I was like, wait, our graphics five. artist is colorblind. <laughs> <laughs> you guys did an amazing job. I mean, I thought it looked great. I could be completely wrong, but yeah, you're not. I, mean, I could be wrong too. I, I think it really works for what it is. And I've been really super honored that people have liked it because, like I said, I don't feel like I'm the strongest designer in the world, but. You know, this is the first time I've ever felt really confident about this particular, like, I'm not really a graphic design person either, right? That's a kind of a different ball of wax, right? Um, and I was just glad that a lot of my skills that I do have, I was able to transfer over to uh, this. It's a aesthetically pleasing, but it has good function. So it is a lot like a website, like you get the information you need and it's nice and it guides your eyes to where they need to go. So I feel like you did the job great. I um, just realized the correlation that sometimes I see John doing and I kind of noticed in yours and I didn't make the connection till now, but there were times where, you know, John does this and I saw in your stuff that I was like, wow, that's a really great, you know, like color palette together. And I'm like, it's such a unique choice, but it pops so much. And I'm like, I, I would have never thought of that. And I think John does the same thing sometimes that when you are, you know, struggling with those color differences that you may pick unconventional color matches and for the synth wave, it almost works really well because it kind of gives yeah. that, that contractual tone to it. And I, and I think that's part of why it works so well is that you have these non-conventional hues that just pop so well together you know whereas me i'm gonna pick beiges across the board because <laughs> you know i'm comfortable with that so yeah i probably pick more colorful colors just because i can't see <laughs> the other no. ones you know but it worked in your favor because that that synth wave kind of look it gives you that kind of like almost negative white balance kind of look to it where they kind of juxtaposed but in a really cool way so i think it worked out really well in your favor 
All right. So it is beautiful. Um, <laughs> it, it, it is I got to write you guys a big check. Yeah. So um, um, John will just hook you up with our Venmo. Um, yeah, there that's we go. Just write anything out. But uh, just visually, it is very appealing from the cover to the back page. All very appealing. But having actually gone through and read all the words, the content is really good there, too. I feel like. I got a taste. You didn't reveal everything, so now I want the full book. Um, and it's been pretty well received. Where are you at on on downloads? Uh, I, I got a hint from Twitter today, but I'm just yeah, I was at I was at four hundred. I cracked four hundred. I have congratulations. Yeah, I was hoping I'd get fifty. So <laughs> we're at four hundred. I don't know how many people have actually looked at it. I mean, besides you. Um, you know, you just put something out there and, you know, lots of times you don't hear anything about it. Um, but I feel at this point, it's really tr like slowed down to a, a real trickle. So, you know, I might break 500 in a couple of weeks, maybe if I'm lucky. Um, but I'm just happy. At, like, this has been a big success as far as getting a taster out there to show what is coming to get people excited about it. You know, everyone who's going to get excited. And then, you know, once the core comes out, if people want or are interested, but aren't quite into it, the jump starts there, right? They can, they can try that first. Um, and also the other thing that, that I didn't mention before that one reason why I decided to go to the jump start was I could work out a lot of the layout things because what i when i'm doing layout i look at it like i'm doing the software thing is i'm building up components that i can reuse later so what does the sidebar look like you know what is you know the headlines and the you know all these pieces and i can just rearrange them as i move along so i now i have almost every major like i've got i don't know if there's any tables in the jumpstart there might be in the equipment section. I think there are in the equipment section. There but, you know, I have tables designed. I have I have all these pieces designed. So once I actually get to the layout of the core book, then, you know, it, it'll it be a lot faster. And it there won't be as much of this. Like, the problem with the design, too, is, like, I'll think of something cool. I'll do it, and it sucks, and I've spent, like, six hours on it, right? Like, right. And then you got to try a different design and a different – so now a lot of that is out of the way. John, you know a little something about that, don't you? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> Spending six hours on something and then didn't work at the end? Like you follow a tutorial and it's not a good tutorial and you can't, like, this isn't what I wanted. That, that That's happened before, too. So or you just of... realize there, when you actually see it, that you've made like your grandma's house or something, and you're like, no, I no, tear it down. I want that. <laughs> so congratulations on on the success of the the jump start. Thank you. Tell me about the book. The full. What book. do you want to know? Yeah. I've... What, what, what can I what can I expect? Like, are there going to be more Phrygian characters? Are you going to include a few more scenarios? Are we looking at a you know, a, a, a bevy more of uh, hindrances and edges. So, because I'm, I'm excited 
to get the whole thing. So what can you tip off? Of? So there's a ton that's in, like not in the jump start. So way more details on drive and relationships. Uh, that you know, there's a there's a lot more equipment. You know, obviously we talked about that. Um, I might strip out the core the adventure in the core book and make it a little simpler and put that in something else. Um, so I'm gonna probably work on writing a new one soon. Um, what else? I'm trying to think. Is it gonna be more like helping you build like the sandbox type like world so you have a better understanding of the whole world kind of deal? There's a there's a lot of that. Uh, so I give a lot of examples on the different types of adventures you can run. So like, what's an assault mission? What's you know like what's an investigation? I, I don't go too deep in it because there's a whole web you know role playing game websites that really go into that but just real tips on how to do that stuff you know some random mission generators um i've got some stuff to flavor chases a little bit more so like random tables so you know the the car runs into the fruit stand or whatever that kind of stuff no no yeah um runs through the fruit stand that's yeah all the it explodes like, that right. you know the melons explode and everything and then the chase scene they're the windshield wipers yeah right right um i don't know what what i can't you know i, I forgot some of the question there what else were you looking for no, i was just trying to get as much out of you as uh, oh, the full see, book yeah. as possible so yeah when when the full book comes out is it going to be uh PDF will be there be a, a hard copy option through drive through. Uh, it's probably gonna be PDF to start, and then I can work because there's some things I kind of have to fix in the jump start, just little things. So I'm gonna do the same thing with the core book where release it, have some fixes because there'll be something wrong with it. And then update it. And then once it's to a point, I feel confident that all, like those typos or whatever glitches are taken care of. Then I'll look at possibly a Kickstarter to fund a um, you know a physical copy. Yeah. I'm not so hot on print on demand because you know I've heard mixed results about uh, drive-throughs print on demand, and I feel like I want to give people and this is like what i'm doing with the merch thing is i want to give people the best thing for their dollar i don't want it some junky book out there right so you know the way i see it is if we get a physical edition out then that you know i don't know what would be in the rewards but maybe more art or more adventures or just things to help you know fund it and make it a little more. And then one thing I was thinking about, I, I said this on Twitter, I think last night was that if you buy the PDF before the Kickstarter comes up before the print, then I want to find a way to, to reward you for that. So maybe you keep your electronic receipt and then give it to me. And then I get, I put you in a higher tier where you get some stuff and a coupon or something just something to make yeah. up for the fact because i don't want to make you double dip right like i, I would feel badly why would anybody pay twenty dollars for whatever and then you know 
we literally do that all the time. We okay. literally do it all the time. Um, well, well, maybe chat, I, I don't, I don't need to hook you up with a coupon then. So. No, we're fine. Uh, I was gonna say, chat did agree way earlier that we wanted uh, wall size posters. Uh, uh, if you could just put that in there for us. All right, so great. that's a good transition because one of the things I wanted to ask you about was merch, right? You. Yeah. You put some prototype photos out on uh, on Twitter. I, I yeah. got to have one of the coffee mugs because it was just so cool. Um, yeah. So, so you're working through that now. Uh, merch isn't out and available yet, but you are working. And tell us what we can expect. I'm hoping that in a couple of weeks to have at least two shirt designs. Um, one would be just says Street Wolves, and then the other would be. Kimberly Tiffany, who is a NPC in the adventure, who hopefully you get to meet. Uh, she came about as like a yes ending um, and became a fan favorite of the two groups that ran the adventure. Um, but so she's going to have her own shirt. And then I was going to do a poster right away, but I've had too many problems with the two prototypes the one didn't ever arrive because the tube was empty the other one was crushed and it had print lines all over it so i'm probably just gonna bite the bullet and have a small print run done and then maybe have you know i don't know 20 or something like that on hand and see how that goes um coffee mug that should look good but i want to make sure because i redesigned it a little bit and I think there was something else I wanted up there, but fanny pack. I <laughs> that would be perfect they don't have any fanny pack. Yeah, I've looked up some of this stuff, and it's just like, first of all, I don't want to store a bunch of stuff that might not ever sell in my house. Right. And then the other is like, you know, you'd have to have this huge. Like, do I want to spend five hundred dollars on you know seventy fanny packs or whatever it is, right? Or would I rather spend that money on art for the book, right? Like, Yeah, that's a good so that's, point. That's one reason why I am trying Printify, which is that it, it's like the middleman where they, they take the orders and then send them off to the printers. Well, we'll see how that works. Hopefully, if, if people are dissatisfied, I'll just cut it off because I don't want junk, right? I don't want people to feel bad when they get something in the mail. All right, so love the love the Jumpstar. Looking forward to the book. Probably this coming Thursday, we're going to play the Jumpstar adventure. Good. Um, yeah. If I recall correctly from Dev Notes, that will be the seven-year anniversary of your first post about the G.I. Joe oh, game Lord. you wanted to make. <laughs> John's been totally... Twitter stalking you. Yeah. No, that's in the Discord, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I've been working on Street Wolves for two years, essentially, um, in its current form. So, people out there that are like, hey, yeah, Emily told us she really wants to get into you know, writing adventures or scenarios. Other people out there want to, you know, build their own game like you did. Two years you've been working on this, and then several years before that with the old GI Joe. What what kind of lessons learned do you have for people that would, you know, want to do what you did or some pieces of what you did? 
don't be like me and then decide you want to write a big book and then write the whole book. <laughs> That's, so that, you know, I wrote that GI Joe clone. Like I actually did that and I did the layout and the layout sucked, you know, seven years ago or whatever. I wrote the whole book and then I just trashed it. Like if you can think of a smaller way to get started, like maybe just do some pre-generated characters or uh, like in Savage Worlds, there's these one pagers. They're just one or two pages of real short adventures. If you could do that, just don't, don't write a big giant book right away. <laughs> yeah, well, it takes totally too long. Have, it took me right. two years to get out a jumpstart, right? Like that, I could have had other things out and built up excitement, but so you could using the, the base Savage World system, I just write some scenarios that use nothing but the basics there, and then kind of let your world and setting build itself as you run these things and, and create these things. And you can get together. a fan license and publish pretty much whatever you want as long as you don't charge money for it. You know, if you're violating copyrights or whatever, that's on you, not on Pinnacle. Um, but, you know, like if you wanted to write fan versions of whatever and just get your your beak wet or whatever, <laughs> feet wet, uh, do that. Uh, you know, D&D &D 5e is so much bigger than Savage Worlds. Like if you want attention, I would say focus on 5e right now. Um, but for me, it's, it's more about, this is a hobby and a passion of mine. I'd like to make the money back that I've spent on the project, but it's not a money making thing. Um, but yeah, um, I guess, uh, uh, you know, always keep in mind that nobody's, especially when you start, nobody's going to care about your thing more than you do. But over time, as you make connections and people see the things you make, and then you, you, you should find people that respond positively to it. And then you kind of like engage with them and encourage them and their passions. And then that kind of ignites you too, right? Like um, this this whole show today right like this is from you know like you guys seeing it and getting really excited about it right but you know two years ago when i was out there and i'm like typing and i'm like i'm making this game right and then i share maybe like a, a bad photoshop thing i mean people might think it's neat but they're they're not gonna care right, right. you have to keep that that ball moving yourself you know and keep making those connections and 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 releasing those things and showing people and you know hopefully they'll respond like i'm i'm talking like i'm a big expert i've had like one jump start out that's it oh the four of us you're the biggest <laughs> you are yeah the biggest expert <laughs> yeah, in the room <laughs> so i've got one more question for you and then i'm gonna you know let you answer that question and then use that opportunity to you know whatever else you'd like to to say as we kind of start to wrap these things up. So I'll let you just, you know, whatever you'd like to say about street bulls. But here's my question for you. Right. Without giving away spoilers, if you can, what advice do you have for me, Steve, at Rick Stevens PI, 
for running your lunch, your, your jumpstart adventure in a few days as the game master. Um, I almost feel like I should take my headset off and like, <laughs> no. but you have I'll a private <laughs> conversation. I'll be general. I would say, listen to your players. <laughs> Do what they go with what they think is fun, but also look for all the escape hatches in the adventure to get them back on track. Like I said, I don't want a railroad, but there's also things where, you know, if they're lost or don't know what to do, or they're making a really big mistake there, there's, there's some things built into there and be like, give them a little hint. Right. Um, that's Be good prepared. advice because these two are always lost, don't know what to do, <laughs> and are making mistakes. And he never listens. So. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, and I would say that adventure. So I'll be I'll be honest. Like I like the adventure because of the the way you it it kind of shows you the whole world. But it's also not my favorite one that I've run. I mean, I think that's fair that i could say it's not my favorite because it kind of puts the characters into a moral position that they could go and do bad things again i can't really say exactly what it is but they could go ahead and do like evil things and i'm generally not that guy i don't like bad things happening in like i don't like play like oh i ran D for a little while and the players were torturing goblins and i just said straight up if you want to play the torture game i'm not the guy to run this game okay. because that does not interest yeah, me. yeah and that's not our thing either we don't we don't right so, play, so the, but this, more gray area that yeah that, that is fun to play i like gray you don't make it an evil campaign yeah but this one, you know, this one, it, you can kind of start veering into that, like, oh boy, they they did some nasty stuff, and they, you know, I yeah. again, I can't, I can't get into it, but well, those '80s cop movies, right? They, you know, Miami Vice, it happened a lot, where where the cops who are upholding the law sometimes bend or break it a little bit for the cause of justice, right? It's the only I, way I'm going to get that bad guy is if. I do this slightly illegal thing. I, and that's, well, I mean, it's one reason why I like Miami Vice so much is the moral gray areas where the job essentially breaks the main heroes. Uh, Spoiler, the end of this series is Crockett and uh, Tubbs quitting because they realize that what they're doing isn't making a difference, right? Like that's intense. You know, that was pretty, you know, it, it was kind of something you didn't really see in the eighties, right? With the cops or whatever, like the job took too much toll on these guys. So then they quit. And I like that where it's there, there's that, that degradation. Deg- I can't even say the word right now. Uh, eventually they just that's what i mean thank you you're welcome plus one benny um <laughs> you heard it here folks i got a benny <laughs> uh i i just enjoy that 
kind of moral play of, you know, going over the edge and coming back. Like, I don't like going all the way to over the edge. That doesn't interest me, but, um, so that's, that's like, we're talking about street wolves with the, the drive that that's one of the reasons why drive is in there to reflect that battle against yourself. Yeah, it really fits well with the setting, right? Because bright neon lights, but dark, gritty streets, you know. That, yeah. So. John, you got any final questions for, for PV or observations? I did want to say I really love the drive component coming from Call of Cthulhu, which has sanity. It resembles that a little bit, but yeah, I think it's done differently in a way that sounds a little more fun, maybe. It's, it's like sanity but also a little like the dark side points in a star Wars game where you do evil things and you, you gain dark side points in that, right? Like, and the more you gain, the more, you know, you're going to be evil. It's, it's kind of like that, but not really. I I don't want to, I don't want to get too much into it, but it, it, it does kind of really help reflect the ideas that I have for this setting. So and I also was is there, curious. Oh, go on. You can go ahead. No, 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 no. Please. Mine can be more of a round out the thing question. So if you had something, you go first. Oh, I was going to say if there were any questions in the chat. I haven't even been looking at chats or. Not recently. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Everyone there were left. Some, there it was some mostly about the posters. Yeah, no, we've uh, we've had <laughs> some some questions in chat, and Emily's done a good job of kind of working those was in for us um, okay and there's still uh we still got a good uh good following on there in chat so thanks everybody for 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 tuning in if you don't have it already the uh the links to get the street wolves uh jump start are, are there in chat emily you got any parting shots for for pv or any last questions i'm super excited to see um how this plays out i love playing new stuff and getting to experience Things that I have known nothing about. Um, very, very excited to see your core book. Um, like I said, I've been trying to get into writing modules and things like that, but I'm a very fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants DM. I hardly ever actually write out a story. I just wait for the characters to be like, what if the bad guy does this? And then they like throw it away, and I'm like, that was a great idea. <laughs> uh, I'm very much uh, kind of DM, so <laughs> I struggle with planning ahead. But uh, the more I play other people's stuff, the more I can kind of see people's thought process. So I'm really interested to get to see inside yours and see how you see things playing out and what's important and all that stuff. So I'm really excited. Yeah, I would say just on that note, if, you know, just read lots of adventures, see what's out there. And, you know, if you if you want to write the more traditional Savage Worlds one sheets or there's a bunch of free ones out there. That you can just download and just start scanning and just kind of absorb it because those are pretty free form they they have an idea and then they they kind of just play out where you can just oh the characters could do this or that and that's basically it it's it doesn't really get too right. deep into it that that might appeal to you oh yeah i'll definitely check that out thank you so pv tell everybody one more time where they can find you on socials and if you have any you know last things you'd like to say about uh street rules in general or jump starting in particular not really i'm sorry i talked your ear off um you can find me at table cat games on twitter where i'll talk, talk your ear off there uh i am on instagram too but i hardly ever use it 
Um, mostly that's for sharing pictures of my cats. Um, that's the quality content right there. Yeah, there you go. That's what, that's the exclusives of the cats. Um, there's also the Discord if you want to join and talk about the game or you know, even potentially see if you want other people to play with you. We've got a few people on there. Um, yeah. That's about it, I guess. Well, hey, thanks a lot for coming on and, and talking to us about us. Uh, you didn't talk too much. I enjoyed every minute of it. I've been dying Thank to you. ask you some questions. And it's not often you get the opportunity to talk to the person who wrote this thing that you're really interested in and that you really like. So I I'd say reach out to small content creators if you want to talk to about anything with them because, like, you know, we're looking for people to, you know, first of all, I like talking about this thing that I made. Second of all, you know, I want to get word out there. And so a lot of us content creators, we we're just shouting on Twitter all day. You know, a lot of, a lot of times it's the same people, right? Yeah. So, you know, in, in this format is also fun too. So it's, it's, you know, just see if anybody else out there wants to chat about this kind of stuff and, you know, they, you probably get a lot of people that would be excited to talk about it. So we appreciate you coming on. We've really enjoyed it. We hope you've been, enjoyed it too. Um, for everybody. That was awesome. That's great. Um, Mondays from 6 to about 8-ish, we talking TTRPG stuff. And Thursday from 6 to 8, we are doing actual plays. Uh, and this Thursday, come watch us take a shot at the jump start for Street Wolves. Uh, I can tell you we are very honest about the way we play. So as you're watching, you'll probably see what it'd be like for you to go through the first time. We're, I'm going to tell John, hold on a second. I got to look something up. But I, we're very uh, open and honest. Can I, we do it. Yeah, go ahead. can I put in a plug for your show? I saw a little bit that I found interesting. There, It was a Call of Cthulhu and there was a giant baby, I think. Yes. Right? That was our last I really like that. So everyone check that out. Giant baby. That was uh, <laughs> our baby. Mr. Corbett scenario, which we just finished up last Thursday. This huge baby monster that. Uh, the uh, Mambagari. Yeah, it was uh, quite interesting. I mean, he was eating Cheerios, and I was like, I love this. This is good. <laughs> so. It tried to eat me. Oh, it did. Oh, no. So, um, hey, everybody, check us out on Monday nights. Come back on Thursday night to see the actual play. PD, again, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we're percentile vice, and thanks, everybody, for coming. Bye. See ya. Bye.